begin to this. Lord, good to be here this morning, thankful for the people you brought out, and I just pray that right now we could just let everything go and focus on you. Lord, you teach, we listen, let your Holy Spirit lead, guide, and direct. Let your words be alive and active, piercing to the sword of the soul there. And Lord, help us to have an understanding of what you want us to get from this, not just to hear it, but to apply it. Lord, apply it in your name. Amen. As you guys know, as we're continuing our study here through the book of Proverbs, we find a key verse in the chapter that we then build off of, and our key verse is going to be out of Proverbs 22, verse 1, and then we're going to be getting into 22 in chapter 23 as well. But before that, a real quick housekeeping announcement. The VBS meeting is now going to be in room 8. VBS meeting is now going to be in room 8, not room 9, so a heads up on that VBS meeting in room 8, not in room 9. So our foundational verse here for this morning as we continue our uh, chapter by chapter study through the book of Proverbs is Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. This verse always means a lot to me because I had growing up as a kid, I had a bookmark that had my name on it. And on top of the bookmark, it had my name there with my, what my name meant according to the Bible. And then it had Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Here's the interesting thing about a good name. You don't get to choose it, do you? You ever think about that? Your name that you have, you have no say in it in any way whatsoever. It's just what you have. Growing up as a kid, I came from a family where we were all J's. Jerry, Joyce, Janelle, J.C., James. We were the five J's mom would put at the bottom of the Christmas card. My uh, wife has a very unique way of picking names. I've shared this with you before with our five biological boys that we have. This idea of, I wanted a Bible name. That, that was my only thing. I just want a Bible name. Dawn said, okay, we have a Bible name. And as the boys kept going, she has these rules, and I'm not making them up. They need to be in alphabetical order. So we have Elias, Judah, Kenan, Laden, Tyrus, E-J-K-L-T. You see them going in alphabetical order. They need to have five letters in their names. The fourth letter needs to be an A. And it needed to be a name of someone that she had not met at that time. Now, we have met other Eliases since then. We know of one other Judah, but we don't know a Laden, a Tyrus, or a Kenan. By the time we kept having kids, we would get out Strong's Concordance of every word. I'm not making this up. Every word in the King James Bible. And we were sitting there going through, trying to find something that was in alphabetical order, five letters, fourth letter, and A. Why does she do this? I have not a clue. I really honestly don't. I just know we need to follow the rules, and that's what we do as we follow the rules. This idea of a name does not literally mean your name. It carries the biblical idea of your reputation. What says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Your reputation. This idea of you have a good reputation, a good witness, it's not about your material wealth. You can have a lot of money in this world. You can be filthy rich and also have a filthy reputation. This is trying to teach you that your name, your reputation is vitally important. Ecclesiastes 7 backs this up. A good name is better than precious ointment. Is your reputation. Now here's the interesting thing about your reputation. Some people treat their reputation almost like an idol. They care so much about what everybody thinks about them. How they are perceived, how they're looked upon in the community, how they're looked upon in the church. And their reputation almost becomes an idol to them. Now the problem is we back this off a little bit and we say, well this is biblical. 
You know, Matthew 5, 16, let your good works so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And what we do is we disguise this as, well, I just want to be a really good witness for the Lord. And we spend so much time and energy on how we are perceived and our reputation, what people think about us. And to be quite honest, it's almost disguised as an idol. Be careful with that. And this is why I say be careful. Because you can't control a lot of what people say about you. You can't. Please go with me to Matthew chapter 5. And then we're going to go to 1 Peter 4. Matthew 5 and 1 Peter 4. You can spend all your time and energy trying to build up a good reputation. But the reality is people are going to say things. They said false accusations against Peter, false accusations against Paul. We know for a fact, according to Matthew 26, that's how they got Jesus in court. They had to bring in false witnesses to bring false accusations against him. And then they went around calling Jesus a glutton. They called Jesus a drunkard. I was thinking about over the years I've been out here serving and ministering, the things that people have said that are not true. And it gets your flesh riled up and you want to call them and contact them and deal with it. It's like, oh, you just got to let that go. And we'll get to the practicality of what do you let go and what you don't let go. But I want you to understand this, and, and please hear me. Be careful of making an idol out of people perceive you and what they think of you. We care more about how the world sees us than we do how God sees us. Don't let it become an idol. Take a look here at Matthew 5, because here's the reality. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look at verse 11. Someone says something against you for the name of Christ, verse 11, and they are blessing you. But yes, it is evil, verse 11. It is false. But verse 12, you are receiving a reward. And that's the way they treated the prophets before you. That's the way they treated Paul. That's the way they treated Peter. And most importantly, that's how they treated Jesus Christ. And so therefore, you speak evil against my name in the name of Jesus. I'm blessed. Keep talking. But the problem is it is evil. It is false. And it hurts. We don't want people to think that about us. We know those things aren't true. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. But we have to accept from a biblical standpoint, if you're out there living the life for Jesus Christ, and you're trying to shine for Him, remember the Bible calls you a light and darkness. Darkness does not like the light. The darkness wants to hide from the light. So therefore, when you shine light into darkness, the darkness will attack the light. And sometimes they'll attack it falsely. With evilness. Don't be surprised by this. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Why as believers do we think it's strange that these things happen to us? We're going to get attacked. People are going to speak against us falsely. They're going to speak evil things against us. Why am I wasting my time and my energy trying to constantly defend myself? I should be focusing on defending who Jesus Christ is. Guys, that's a tough balance to find. I like to read Oswald Chambers. I've mentioned this before. My utmost for the highest. He has a great quote in here about this idea of spending time defending yourself. He says this. Another thing that distracts us is our passion for vindication. 
St. Augustine prayed, quote, O Lord, deliver me from the lust of always vindicating myself, end quote. Such a need for constant vindication destroys our soul's faith in God. Don't say, I must explain myself, or I must get people to understand me. Our Lord never explained anything. He left the misunderstandings or misconceptions of others to correct themselves. Think about that. How much time and energy do I go around saying, I got to explain myself. I must get people to understand me. No, I need them to come to know who Jesus Christ is because the Bible tells me people are going to speak falsely against me. They're going to speak evil against me. And if I spend all my time and energy worrying about what everybody's saying about me, I don't have time and energy left for the gospel. We have to find a balance, and we're going to get to that in a second. But understand that we're going to get attacked. Five, uh, Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Understand verse 12. This is not strange. Look at 13, 1 Peter 4, 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Rejoice. You're blessed that you get to suffer for the name of the Lord. Verse 14. If you are reproached, if you are insulted, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. What a privilege for someone to say, I want to speak evil against you because of your witness for the Lord. Verse 14, middle. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. You are blessed when the world chooses to attack you falsely. You are blessed when your reputation is attacked falsely for the name of Christ. Now, please note, I keep repeating for the name of Christ. Because some of your reputations are attacked, but it's not for the name of Christ. Take a look one more time at 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. A few years ago, I had a guy come into my office and wanted to talk. He was bothered and upset because people at work were saying things against him. He says, they always say something against me. I said, what are they saying? They say, I'm difficult to work with. Say, I have a bad attitude. Say, I'm a bit of a jerk. Okay, I knew this guy a little bit. Stopped. I said, are those things true? Paused. He goes, well, yeah. I said, you're not suffering for being a believer. You're suffering for being a jerk. I mean, there's a bit of a difference here, folks. Some of us throw this suffering and persecution under the umbrella of Christ. And people don't like me. They don't like my stand for the Lord. No, you're a difficult person to be around. There is a difference, guys, between suffering in the name of Jesus and your witness. And suffering because you're just a difficult person to be around. Don't disguise the one for the other. Peter is telling us in verse 15, don't suffer for being a murderer or a thief, an evildoer or a busybody. If you're going to suffer, suffer for being a Christian, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what you want to suffer for. People speaking falsely against you because they can't find anything to say against you. That's what Paul was talking about here in Titus. He says this in Titus 2.8, that your opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Your opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Jump back just two chapters, 1 Peter chapter 2. Can you imagine that? Your light shining in the darkness, the world can't stand you, they want to say something against you, they can't figure out anything to say. The only way they can get you is to say something falsely. What a witness and a testimony. I call that Teflon Christianity. Nothing sticks to you. They want to say something, but they have to make it up. 
First Peter chapter 2, take a look at verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of your visitation. Look at verse 12. They're going to speak against you as an evildoer, but yet they only see your good works. Because they have nothing else to say. Same chapter, verse 15, just reading it out of the New Living Translation. It says this, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Let your life be so honorable in the Lord that any accusation that comes against you is just foolishness. It can't be true. Because your reputation is so strong in the Lord. So now, we've talked about the blessing of it. We've talked about how Let's make sure we're not suffering because we're causing this upon ourselves. Great quote by Oswald Chambers saying, don't waste your energy. I've got to get people to understand. Some people aren't going to care. Now let's make two practical points about this before we move on. Can you go with me to Proverbs 26? Proverbs 26. First practical point. Does this mean you never say anything? People are just going around saying things about you left and right, and you just completely, utterly let them all go. Take a look at Proverbs 26. We've referenced these verses a lot. Verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. That sure sounds like a contradiction to me. Verse 4, don't answer the fool. Verse 5, answer the fool. Wisdom and discernment, guys. Sometimes you do need to say something. Sometimes the accusation they're making against you are so completely, utterly destructive to the glory of God that you need to stop and say, no, I'm not letting that one go. I've told you for the years that I've been out here, there's been a lot of accusations against stuff, and a lot of it's just, I'm letting that go. It's just a false accusation. There's no truth to it. Anybody that knows me, they know that. I know of an individual that likes to come around and say a whole lot of stuff about me, about the church. And if anybody talks to him for more than 30 seconds, you realize the guy's a fool. Let it go. Then there's other times things are said, it's like, I hear that, it's like, yeah, that one needs to be addressed. Sometimes it's verse 4, that's a fool, I'm not going to answer it, I'm not going to go down to his level. Sometimes it's verse 5, eh, that's a fool, but you know what, I need to respond to that one. How do you know the difference? Wisdom and discernment. I spend a morning every, every week praying and fasting for wisdom and discernment to know, Lord, what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And I pray over Colossians 4, 6, that my speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that I know how to answer each one. Lord, give wisdom on what to say, when to say it, and how to say it, and even if to say it at all. The Lord will lead you. But make sure, if you're going to respond to those accusations, you're not doing it because you're offended. You're not doing it because your reputation is hurt. You're doing it for the glory of God. You're doing it for the glory of the Lord to say, I can't let this one go. Number two, what happens if your reputation is shot? No one wants to listen to you. No one respects you because of choices you have made over decades, years, months, weeks, I don't know. Let me say two things to that. Number one, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, he gives a whole list of actions that keep us out of heaven. But then he finishes with this. He goes, but such were some of you. Past tense. That's what you were. You may have been that person and your reputation is shot, but guess what? You're a born-again, brand-new believer in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Yeah, but they don't see it. 
They're not paying attention to it. 1 Timothy 4.15, let your progress be evident to all. Listen, guys, it takes weeks, months, years, decades to build a reputation of negative. It's going to take a while to build a reputation of good. So if the only way they remember you is how you used to be, let time happen. Let patience happen to see how you've changed in the Lord. And let God get the glory. I I take very seriously, and I don't know who first said it. I like to give him credit, but I don't know who did. That it can take years to build a good reputation and only an instant to tear it down. I realize the 20 plus years I've been out here, you can build a good reputation. One foolish action on my part destroys a whole lot of good work. We've got to be careful in how we do. So with that being said, we're dealing with our reputation and our witness for the Lord. Now we get into Proverbs here. And there's four things, and we're going to go through them pretty quickly, of things you can do to keep yourself from hurting your reputation. So let's look at this. Proverbs 23, verse 9. First thing to do to keep a good reputation in the Lord. Proverbs 23, 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. A few weeks ago, we went through Proverbs 14, where it says this. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. You want to have a good reputation? Stay away from fools. It is absolutely amazing when you hang out with fools... Be around fools, you become a fool. People think you're a fool. One of the things I'm constantly telling my kids is be careful. This is what I call kindergarten Christianity. Be careful of the people you spend time with and invest in. I am not saying you do not speak to non-believers. You go be a light, you go be a witness, you go represent the truth and love of Jesus Christ. But those people you choose to let them influence you, do not let them be fools. When you are in the presence of a fool, your reputation is hurt for the glory of God and is hurt. Now, this is difficult. Some of you work with fools. So you're around them 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Some of you married a fool. Some of you gave birth to fools. You go to church with fools. They're all over. It's hard, folks. Be careful of the allowance you have of the influence of people over you. Be careful of that. And a good reputation sees the situation, realizes this person is a fool, realizes this person is trouble, and says, I'm getting away from it. I tell my boys, if this person is acting foolish, get some distance from them. That way you're not heaped in with them. For the glory of God and your reputation as a Christian, stay away from the fools. What else can you stay away from? Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. You don't want to be a... You want your reputation to stay intact? Be careful of alcohol, folks. Be careful of this. This is one of the best passages in the Bible to speak about the truth of alcohol. Look at 29. Who has woe, sorrows, contentions, complaints, wounds without cause? Scars and wounds that happen while drunk. I don't know how many times I've talked to people that said, ah, I don't even know what happened. Woke up like this. I don't even know what happened. Why? Because of 30. We linger long at the wine. We go and search a mixed wine. Look at the wording there. We linger at it. We search for it. We want it. Why do we want it? 31, do not look on it, the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. It looks good, it smells good. 
But what does it do? 32. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. It will come back to bite you. Be very careful. You know, for many years, I've had the privilege, and I mean that sincerely, of uh, knowing Rich Betts, working with Rich Betts. Um, Rich discipled me when I first got saved. He was out on staff here for... Rich, are you in here? How many years did you work out here? Seven, eight? Twenty-four. Twenty-four, yes. He volunteered. He volunteered. Well, he did community service for 17 of those. It was a lot of community service. The last seven or eight we paid him. Um, I loved working with Rich because Rich had these little richisms. He would just say, and I'm going to share a couple of those this morning without your okay. Um, one of them was, there, there was a, a young man, a great young man, that uh, got himself into a situation with um, alcohol and driving accident. And he was at a pretty low spot, contacted, and said, let's get together. So we got together, and we went to a restaurant. We went to a Frisch's big boy. And Rich, me, and, and this young man are sitting there talking. He's a good guy, but just got himself in trouble. And so we're sitting there talking. And when I say this, I don't say this arrogantly, and I don't say this braggadociously. I don't struggle with alcohol. I don't like alcohol. I don't like the taste of it. Before I got saved, I remember going to get-togethers and uh, parties and, and be at an early high school, and they would have some alcohol there, and you'd drink it just to drink. And I, I don't like it. Just It's not a temptation to me, and I'm very blessed in that way. Rich, though, struggled with that for a while, you know, owned a bar, just, just had a history of that. And I always like to bring Rich with me because here I am talking to this guy, and I'm like, you know what, this is what the Bible says. But when I look at that verse where it says, do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly, you know, I don't get that. Richard does. So Richard would come and kind of share a little bit. So looking at this verse here where it says, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. I'm talking to this young man, giving him the verses, telling him what the Lord says about this. Richard's not saying a lot. He's just enjoying his frisches meal. There's a law in the conversation. Richard, in between bites, just looks up and says this. Never wrecked my car while sober and went right back to eating. Just a little, you remember that? Yeah, you do? Little richism. Talking to that guy afterwards, that's what hit him. Not my verses, not my eloquence. You don't make good decisions while drunk, folks. You don't. It's a silly thing. And we have to be careful of the dangers of this. Now, i, I got to be careful, too, because, you know, what I have seen in counseling, what I've seen in talking to people, not a lot of good comes out of a lot of alcohol. It just doesn't, folks. And i got to be careful because I don't want to start preaching some legalism that you're not allowed to drink because the Bible doesn't say that. So I'm not going to say something the Bible doesn't say. The Bible is very clear, though, on drunkenness and the problems that it causes. I'm not a fan of alcohol in many ways whatsoever because I see the dangers it does. And that's something that I have to realize too, that I don't want to push my convictions on people because it can be something where I stop and I say, why? Why would we want to? If you know you can't handle one, why even go to one? If you know it's going to suck your money dry, if you know it's going to cause problems, why even jump into it? Just don't do it. And then there's times where the Lord says, James, can you love and have grace? I've shared this story with you before. I was at Walmart one time. There was a, a young woman that was working her way through Walmart in a wheelchair. And she had uh, items in one hand. And so she would push the wheelchair wheel with one, move the items over, then push. Obviously, you just can't do one hand. You just keep going in circles. So items over push. Items over push. And I saw and I said, okay, 
the right thing to do is to help this young lady out. So I went over to her and I said, I'm, do you need some help? She goes, I would really appreciate that. She goes, I just got to pick up one more item. I said, no problem. So we go down and she goes, it turned in this aisle. We turned in the aisle and it was the aisle of the alcohol. And I thought, well, she must be getting beef jerky, right? Because that's what's on the far end of alcohol. So we go and we stop in front of the wine. And I'm thinking, well, the beef jerky's down there. And then she stops and she says, um, I'd like that one. It's like, whoa. I said I'd push your wheelchair, lady. I didn't say anything about grabbing alcohol off the counter for you here. I'm not. And I'm thinking, what would happen if somebody from church walked by? Oh, that's my pastor. <laughs> Pushing the woman in the wheelchair. Buying her alcohol. So I got it down, gave it to her, and then on the way out, I just really felt like the Lord said, talk to her. And it was a great opportunity to talk with her, pray with her, and witness to her. But I just do want to tell you this, though. Look at what this word is saying in 31. Don't look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. This is not a joke. I don't know how many people have called me up drunk from church. I don't know why it's me. I had a guy call me up one time and said, Pastor? I said, yeah. He goes, I'm drunk. What am I supposed to do with that? He called me up the next day and he says, did I call you yesterday? And I said, yeah. He goes, what did I say? You told me you were drunk. He goes, I'm so sorry. I said, okay, let's talk about this. Of all the numbers in your phone... Me? 34. Yes, you'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? It's a drive. It's a passion. It drives them. Guys, be careful. Be careful with this. If you want a good reputation in the Lord, stay away from fools and be careful around the alcohol. Next one. 23, 26, please. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. And then Proverbs 22, verse 14. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. You want a good reputation? You want to be careful? Stay away from the immoral woman. Now, any time I teach on this, you ladies grab me after church and say something about me picking on women, whatever. I will pick on men equally with the women here on this one. Okay? Ladies, please be a God-glorifying woman in your words, your dress, and your actions. How about that? Ladies, be a God-glorifying woman in your words, how you speak how you speak of others, how you speak of your husband, how you speak of your sisters in Christ and people. Be a God-glorifying woman in your dress, in modesty and how you present yourself. Yes, the world teaches you a little more skin is in, but be careful of that. And be God-glorifying in your actions. There is something so spiritually attractive about a godly woman. Men, be a God-glorifying man in how you treat these women. Treat them God-glorifying. Women, you know you can get attention for your looks and how you dress and how you act and how you flirt and how you smell. You know that. 
We don't go up to other men and smell them and say, Oh, grease, man, you smell good today. We don't do that. (laughs) There's something about the perfume. There's something about the way they look. There's something about that. Now, Paul talks about modest apparel. Paul talks about warning yourself to not adorn yourself with gold and stuff like that. Be careful that you're not taking it to an extreme. There's nothing wrong with, with dressing up. There's nothing wrong with making yourself look nice. I remember J. Vernon McKee teaching one time. He says, listen, if the barn needs painting, paint it. But be careful when that becomes the focus of your attention and that becomes the focus of what you're doing. And men... Why do they do that? Because it sucks us right in. We need to be careful of these type of things. So, we want a good reputation. Let's be careful of how we act around people of the opposite sex. Let's talk about this for a second. Can you go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at the words here of Paul through the Holy Spirit on dealing with this. First Thessalonians 4, start in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is a big theology word. It means to be set apart. God is saying, I have set you apart from the world. Christians, we should talk different than the world. We should act different than the world. Should we dress different? We should live different. We should speak different. We should not be the same that the world is. We are sanctified, set apart, born again. Verse 3, that you have abstained from sexual morality. Sexual morality is an all-encompassing term. Stay away from the sexual and moral world that we live in. For that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Learn how to control yourself. Five, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also foretold, forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. Verse 6. No one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter. Men, it's not your job to try to get something from a gal. You're defrauding your sister in Christ or your potential sister in Christ. Women, you know that the way you act, the way you look, the way you do things, it can defraud a brother in the Lord. Don't do that careful of seeking that attention from somebody of the opposite sex to build yourself up or something like that. It's a powerful, powerful tool. And we need to be careful about that. I love the simplicity of 1 Timothy 5.2. You don't need to turn there. It says to men, I'm supposed to treat all older women as my mother, and I'm supposed to treat all younger women as my sister. I grew up with two older sisters, so I understand that passage there. That yes, there is a closeness as a sister in Christ. Yes, there can be a friendship there. But there's also, that's my sister. And if they're not saved, I hope they're my potential sister in Christ. The body of Christ, we could do a better job with this. And this is, our reputation can get hurt because we do foolish things around people of the opposite sex. And we need to realize we need to be God-glorifying men and women in how we live and how we act. Last one, please. Proverbs 22. 28. Proverbs 22, 28. How can we keep a good reputation? 22, 28. Do not remove the ancient landmark 
which your fathers have set. Look at 23.10. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. And it also talks about this as well in uh, Proverbs 15.25. Do not move the boundary of the widow. You want a good reputation? Don't mess with landmarks and boundaries. Now, here's the deal. This doesn't carry as much weight for us in the 21st century. Because if you want to know where your property line is, you go hire a surveyor. It's recorded at the courthouse. We know where these property lines are at. Now, maybe your property's like mine, where you do have this little stake in the corner that you try not to hit while mowing that basically is your property marker. But what would happen back during Bible times? You want a few extra feet? Bump the stone over. Just do it every now and then. And it's really easy to do for the widow and the fatherless. They're not going to really fight back. And so next thing you know, you're gaining a few feet here and there. Next thing you know, you're gaining a few yards. Next thing you know, you're gaining this. Just move the landmark. Well, someone's going to come back and say, you moved my landmark. No, I didn't. Can't go to the courthouse and hire a surveyor and say, well, it's from this to this to this. It was a huge deal back during Bible times. In fact, the law speaks a lot about this. Deuteronomy 19. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set, and your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And even more than that, Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen. That was a huge deal to go move landmarks, especially to widows, orphans, fatherless. Please remember this. The Bible is very general on us to love everybody. But then God gets specific about widows and orphans. He really does. There's something special in God's heart to the fatherless and to the widows. Now, what are the practical applications of this? Two things I think it's trying to say. Number one, don't take advantage of things when you can. See, back then you could easily move a landmark and you could take advantage of it and no one would ever know. It's just a few feet here and there. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart personally. I don't know what the Lord is telling you right now and what not to take advantage of. But there's things that you know you can get away with. And the Lord's saying, we've got to be done with that now. You're taking advantage of it. You're moving the landmark. You're moving the boundary just a little bit here and there. And you're getting just a little bit more for yourself. You're just taking a little bit more for somebody. Maybe it's a 15-minute break. You take a 20-minute break. And it's, what's the big deal? No harm, no foul. God knows. I think it was C.S. Lewis that defined integrity as doing the right thing when no one is watching. God sees. God knows. Don't move the boundaries. Don't move the landmarks. God knows. The second thing is this. Maybe we need to do a better job in our lives of having some landmarks and some boundaries that we say we're not going to move on. That we're going to put a stone down and say, I'm not budging from this. I'm not moving from this. And what happens is we, we set these boundaries and next thing you know we're compromising. I set the boundary that I'll never date a non-believer. But then I met him. And he's so cute. Okay, then I made a boundary that I'm going to save myself for marriage. Yeah, but we really love each other. You know, I made the boundary that I'm never, I'm never going to drink again. Okay, but I'm going to have just one. I made the boundary that, you know what, bad things happen late at night in front of my computer, so I'm not doing it anymore, but I'm really bored tonight, and I'm going to see what's going on. Guys, maybe we need to make some more boundaries and say we're not going to move from this. Now, some of you may be saying, well, that sounds legalistic. Okay, let me ask you something about legalism. I hate legalism. I'm a grace guy. But aren't certain things kind of good 
to say that I'm going to do this? Now, remember, the definition of legalism really is saying that you're going to do some type of work to inherit salvation or earn favor with God. We have kind of now made the word legalistic to be in anything where, well, you're just forcing this and you're saying you have to. I don't know about you guys. I would assume most of you here this morning were pretty legalistic this morning when you got up by getting cleaned up to come to church. Showered probably, some deodorant, brushed your teeth. Legalistically, you do these things. It was John Corson that I heard one time teach. He goes, listen, I'm legalistic on a few things. He goes, I brush my teeth every morning. I'm legalistic about that. He goes, it makes me feel better and it makes my neighbor feel better. We need to be legalistic on some things. You're legalistic on what you eat. If I brought in a plate of brownies said I mixed them with horse manure, you would say legalistically I'm not going to eat those things. So maybe we need to set a few boundaries and say, you know what? I struggle in this area and I realize I struggle in this area and I'm not doing this to earn favor with God and I'm not doing this to earn salvation. But I realize this always comes back to bite me and hurt me. So I'm putting a landmark down right now. I'm putting a boundary down right now and I don't want to do this again. And now don't come back and move the boundary. Don't come back and move the landmark. But for the glory of God, I see this landmark here and it reminds me to say, no, I don't want to do this again. And this landmark, this boundary is there to be a visible reminder to me to say, stop. Because maybe we've reached a point as a society where we're constantly moving boundaries and landmarks just to get a little bit more. Where God says, you know what? They're there for a reason. We've got to be careful. So back now, rewind the clock. Proverbs 22.1, you want a good name, you want a good reputation. For the glory of God, not for your own. Don't make your reputation an idol. What everybody thinks about you is how do people perceive Jesus Christ. Remember, no matter how hard you try to make a good reputation, people will speak falsely against you and you're rewarded for that. When do you say something back? The Lord will give wisdom and discernment at that moment, at that time. He will. But if you want a good reputation, the four things that we talked about this morning is this. Stay away from fools. Careful around the alcohol. Careful around people of the opposite sex. And be careful moving those landmarks. You want a good reputation in the Lord? Walk in the wisdom of those four things. Worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song. One of my favorite verses...